0: I mean here's a guy that criticizes everybody whoever they take he's got the answers to, uh, who you should take and who you shouldn't take and all of a sudden he's an expert he's in our paper two days ago telling us who we have to take
1: welcome back to the believe in nfl draft prospects podcast i'm joe de joined by ryan roberts and Alex Gilstrap, two NFL Draft Analysts. Today's episode, we are going to discuss the impacts of Florida and Miami losing this weekend. We're going to share our matchups that we are going to be watching this weekend for conference championship weekend. Lastly, we will hit on the most polarizing prospects that we think will have vastly different opinions in the media, by fans, by as many different people's opinions you will see out there on the interwebs. Before we get into that, though, folks, I want to talk to you about bet online. The NFL season is practically almost done. We've got a few more weeks coming up, and you might not be able to be at these games, and attendance is closing down a lot more lately, but you can still be in on that action. I know that I get a kick out of putting a couple dollars down here and there just to have little bit extra pocket money maybe some more money to buy beer at the end of the week if you put Just a few dollars down, $5 down, make your money back with a simple, easy bet, like maybe taking whoever plays the Jets to cover or them on the money line. From game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than any place online. And there's always the online casino as well. It never closes. So head to BetOnline.ag today and take advantage of all of the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's BetOnline.ag and sign up today. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. So guys, on Saturday, we had two complete meltdowns in two different ways by two Florida schools, Miami and Florida. Florida loses after a long field goal attempt by LSU to essentially knock them out of the college football playoff. Miami, we learned a lot about them as they were completely smoked by UNC. And one thing I would like to open up today's discussion on is did we learn the true identities of these teams are they not as talented as we thought that they were considering the way that they played in games where they needed to step up and look good Alex let's go to you first what do you think do you think we learned the true identities of these
2: squads I think the talents there you mentioned the word talented My we'll go to Miami first. I've never really been on the Miami bandwagon as far as their success uh, this season. I think they have some talent on that defense. Greg Russo obviously opted out, but they still have some impact guys on that defensive line and Jalen Phillips and uh, Quincy Roche, and you got some guys on the back end, Bubba Bolden. I think there's talent there. I've never been sold on their offense, and that's what we saw really struggle. I guess their defense did too. Their defense just couldn't stop this North Carolina running attack. Uh, but with Florida I think this is exactly what they were they're a bad defensive team a bad defensive team Uh, good offense didn't have their number one weapon and they just weren't able to put up enough points obviously uh, we saw how that game ended you know a little bonehead play at the end but you know they, they allowed LSU to hang in there you know drive after drive it just was right there the whole way and you start to think to yourself is LSU gonna have a chance to beat Florida and then you know, we saw how that ended. So I, I I wasn't completely sold on either one of these teams. I was more so sold on Florida just because of that offensive upside. But when you're missing the playmaker like Kyle Pitts that they they held out for whatever reason, the medicals or whatever it was that it ended up being, uh, they just didn't have enough offensively to keep up uh, with their defense allowing as many points as they did.
3: I mean, I mean, come on, man. Miami has always been a fraud. They haven't beat anybody this, this entire season. Me and Joe talked about this. What was it yesterday? Joe unlocked on Irish. Like, it's just, dude, like, <sighs> Jalen Phillips, I like a lot. Defensive end. I like him a bunch. Yeah. I'm a little lower on Quincy Rocher. I like Bubba Bolton at safety, though. There's a couple guys in that defense. Derek King is a really good college dual threat quarterback. There's some, you know, some nice parts to that team. The offensive line is not great. Interior defensive line can be hit or miss. Nesta J. Silvera has his flashes. Second level defense stinks. The cornerbacks aren't good. Miami has not played a good team. The only good teams they have played are Clemson. And and this past week now with North Carolina and these explosive offenses, they aren't able to keep pace. Their defense is not built to stand. They are not what people tried to act like they were. They never should have been the number 10 team in the country. That was absolute absurdity. Florida, on the other hand, hey, historic offense. They have a great offense. Kyle Trask has had a great season. Pitts was out, but they still have Kadarius Toney. Running backs are good. Offensive line is very improved. They are an SEC caliber offense, champion caliber offense. Defensively, they're awful. They're atrocious. They're, I think, one of the worst ranked defenses in all of college football this year. Power five, group of five, division one in general. So. Florida was never going to be able to, you know, they were going to play Alabama. They're going to play Alabama either way. They are. We're never going to be in that conversation in the playoffs, in my opinion. Just because they're, I mean, that defense. Just who wanted to see that team? It reminds me a whole lot of Oklahoma the last couple of years, right? Like this great offense, but the defense just like, what are we doing here? Ventrell Miller, solid player. Brendan Cox has some some talent that could be you can really kind of um, harness. And I think that NFL team get the best out of him. Jeremiah Moon. But that secondary is atrocious. There just aren't enough guys in that defense. Florida is definitely a poser, but the biggest fraud out of the two would be Miami.
1: Yeah, Miami was the the biggest imposter out of both, like you just said, Ryan. But the clear thing we learned here is that both of them did not have good defenses, and we learned it in the worst possible way, giving up – 30 points to a really bad LSU offense and then getting completely smoked by a UNC team that has been hot this whole year. But to get knocked around like that when you're the 10th team in the country, that's absolutely ridiculous. You're supposed to be this this good team when you're ranked that highly. That's a joke to me. And I think that we learned both of these squads are just not as competitive as we thought they were. They're still talented. I mean, they're going to do well in their bowl games, but they're just not as talented, I think, as everybody expected them to be. Some people said... Miami should have been in the ACC championship game. That's a joke. Some people said Florida should be in the college football playoff. That is also a joke. So now we know the truth. We know that there was no validity to those statements. And it's glad it's good to see that those people who made those false claims have been proven wrong. I want to hit on, though, the the meme that came out of this, the, the, the growing trend that everybody was talking about, the trending topic. Marco Wilson at the end of the game. Game's pretty much over. He decides to pick up in an LSU player's shoe and chuck it as far as he can down the field. That results in a penalty to set up LSU in perfect position to kick a field goal. That's a pretty stupid decision. Some people went as crazy to say that they should take his scholarship away. (laughs) I think that that is nonsense. Uh, I don't think that you understand how some things work if you believe that. But you have to at least talk about, from a, a scouting perspective, what does something like this mean? A poor decision... Like this, where it impacts the outcome of a game, and not only is it—it's not like he hit somebody out of bounds late, or uh, a targeting penalty, or a hold, or a DPI. He picked up a shoe and threw it. Like that's the stupidest thing that you can do on the field. He didn't have to do it. You know, it—it it takes no effort to not pick up a shoe and throw it as far as he can down the field. So, Alex, I want to hear from you first again. Do you think this, this in any way is going to impact the evaluation by NFL teams? Are they going to make note of this, that he threw a shoe? I,
2: look, Marco Wilson has that mentality you want as a defensive back, that that gritty, he's going to get in your head, he's going to talk. And old teammate of his, Chauncey Garner Johnson, now currently with the Saints, someone I really, really like, does a great job of this. He... he He talks his talk and he, he's a good football player at the, at the end of the day. But I think what Chauncey Garner Johnson, what differs there is Chauncey knows when to turn it off. And he even tweeted after the, after this game, he, he pretty much called Marco Wilson dumb. He, he all caps, Marco dumb. Uh, so, you know, and that just goes to show that, you know, Chauncey Garner Johnson is one of those players that's, he's gonna talk, he's gonna get in people's heads, do stupid antics like that, but he knows when the critical situation's on and Marco Wilson, he just lost his head for a second. He got too lost in, in the, in the game. I mean, it's a, it was a back and forth game. Say what you want about LSU's 2020 season. That's the defending national champs at the end of the day. It was a big game that I know everyone uh, in Florida's football program wanted to win. And with it being so tight, there was probably a lot of smack talk going on and you know, you make the big stop. He's excited and he makes a stupid play. And I, it does question his decision-making and, and his kind of mental toughness in, in, you know, realizing what exactly is important at that time and, and in that place. And he at the end of the day, he calls him him and his team th- that game and he cost them the college football playoff hope as well. So uh, I don't know if it necessarily hurts his draft stock. I don't know what much of it there was to begin with. Um, But, you know, he's a solid football player. I think he's a late day three guy. I don't know if that changes anything, but it was a bonehead decision, and he's just going to have to live with it, and, and he's going to have to answer some questions come the draft cycle.
3: Well, I mean, that's what I was going to say. Every year we have Florida defensive backs that, you know, are uh, the main talking points, NFL draft circles from C.J. Henderson to, you know, Janoris Jenkins back in the day. Like, they always have somebody, uh, Joe Hayden, like – University of Florida is known for putting out high quality defensive backs. Marco Wilson is not that. And some people in the summer were like, oh, he's the next guy because he plays at Florida, but in reality he's not a very good football player. He doesn't have great ball skills. He's just not a very situationally sound player. You know, he seems to get lost in zone. Like there's just not a lot to really clamor for for a guy like him. And and how much does this affect us? I don't wanna I don't wanna bash a kid for one single incident because for for my understanding, uh, you know Marco's not a bad kid. I haven't heard anything about him you know, off the field or making t- dumb decisions. But in the heat of the moment, in a big moment in the game, in a very big game, Marco Wilson made a very bad decision. So you know, scouts are watching on film for you know good decisions, decision making. It's not just a quarterback trade. It's a player trait. It's a, it's a, you know, as David Turner recalled, it, it's one of the big six. It's, it's a part of what the evaluation is for every single player. So, is it going to hurt him for to a degree? Yeah, some scouts are definitely going to make notes like this guy needs to be more aware of the situation. He needs to keep his his attitude in check. He needs to keep his his emotions in check in a tough situation. And it was a very unfortunate end to that game and an unfortunate play uh, play for a player that has not done anything this year to help his stock at all.
1: All right, enough shoot talk. Let's get into talking about these conference championship games coming up this weekend. We've got a lot of interesting matchups, and we want to share what prospects we are going to be watching in these games that have key and important matchups. So my matchup that I'm really interested in seeing, because I'm a small school guy, I'm going to pick a, a smaller conference, if you will, in the American Tulsa versus Cincinnati. Tulsa has one of the best defenses in the country, best small school defense, I would argue. Some of the most talented players that are not enough people are talking about. And then Cincinnati possesses a interesting quarterback prospect, a guy that has some traits that is a fun one to discuss that could find himself in the middle rounds being selected. So for me, I'm watching Desmond Ritter versus Zayvon Collins. Collins has really been on the last few weeks, and since the beginning of the season, his stock has continued to climb. How does he participate and play in the second biggest matchup of his season he already looked really good against Oklahoma State how is he going to look playing against Cincinnati a top-ranked team is he going to step up to the occasion and if if he plays well how does Ritter handle that how many real NFL caliber pass rushers has Ritter faced this year and I think that Zayvon Collins is the best opportunity for us to learn Can he handle that pressure coming from a really talented guy?
3: I can't believe that Joe stole Tulsa from me. That's my brand. (laughs) He absolutely (laughs) took it from me. And honestly, that was probably, in my opinion, the best matchup that I'm looking forward to personally, but I had to pick a different one, obviously. So I will say Marco Wilson versus Devonta Smith is going to be a hell of a battle. I'm just kidding. That's not going to be a battle at all. (laughs) But I am going to say to that game, if there's any player for Florida that has improved their draft stock on the defensive side of the football this year, it's probably Brenton Cox, the outside linebacker, defensive end, pass rusher, who was a Georgia transfer, highly recruited player. He's definitely flashed a ton on film. I was a Jeremiah Moon supporter in the summer. I thought he was really going to burst on the scene and, and really take that step. It's kind of been Brenton Cox, who's the who's the edge there for Florida that has taken that ascension to being a true NFL prospect. and He's facing off against Alex Leatherwood, who I'm going to be very honest with and I was honest with in the summer and I've been honest with you know about this whole process. I think Alex Leatherwood is a guard. I do not think he's an offensive tackle. I think he has struggled on, on film this year. From what I have seen, even though people are trying to convince themselves that he's been better than he was in 2019, I still see the same flaws in his game, lack of length. I don't think that he can handle really speedy, bendy outside rushers, which a Brenton Cox is. So it's a huge matchup for him. Can he... Can he have a nice day against Brenton Cox, one a really athletic, uh, twitchy, outside rusher who's going to threaten the outside shoulder out around the track against a guy like Alex Leatherwood? Can he match up against it? I'm ready to see because I am firmly on. I do not think – Alex Leatherwood is probably going to be drafted by someone to play tackle. I just think that he's more suitable inside a guard, and I think that Brenton Cox might show us a few reps of why I have that, that opinion right now.
2: I think if you talk about what which matchup is the most important for the evaluation, I think Joe Desmond Ritter against the Tulsa defense, this is the best he's going to see in 2020. This is an improved season for Ritter. And uh, to have an opportunity to play Zayvon Collins, the leader of that defense in the middle, uh, along with the other playmakers on that defense, I think that's a big one. Brenton Cox and Alex Leatherwood, a good battle of those middle round guys, someone that's kind of fallen down and Alex Leatherwood and someone that's uh, kind of ascended this year and Brenton Cox said, I'm going to keep it in the SEC Championship game and I'm going to talk about Patrick Sertain uh, versus Kyle Pitts. I don't think we're going to see this as a one-on-one matchup throughout the entire game. I think it'll be uh, some reps here and there, but Kyle Pitts often lines up on the outside, uh, hoping we get him this weekend first and foremost, but uh, Patrick Sertain, I think you know, he plays that physical... Uh, Kind of like he's just a technician. And I think I think playing up against a big body guy and Kyle Pitts, I think this will be a fun matchup. Uh and I think it's more important for Patrick Sartain's stock to see these reps between the two of them, to see how he handles the big target like Kyle Pitts, the playmaker that's been dominating college football through 2020. But this will be a fun matchup. Uh, you know, just Kyle Pitts in general against this Alabama back seven, whether that's lining up against Josh Job. Uh, or Dylan Moses, even, you know, something that I don't think will happen too often, but something that could happen seeing the, the athleticism meet athleticism there. So, uh, the SEC championship for sure, like always is going to be one to watch. And just
1: to clarify, so I don't have anybody coming for my head for making a slight, uh, Mistake in, in talking about David Collins. I meant to say outside linebacker, not pass rusher. But um, still, regardless, oh, he can, all he those can guys.
3: rush the passer. He can do everything. That's uh, no,
1: I know, it. but he's. I feel I've been like watching I'm watching his uh, film this week. I'm pigeon I'm pigeonholing him by just saying pass rusher is my point. I I know yeah, if I, I don't clarify that, somebody who listens will be like, you don't know what you're talking about. You just said this this and that. I just I'm making well, well, sure. Joe,
3: so, some people want to pigeonhole Micah Parsons by just calling him a pass rusher too. That's true. I was about idiotic, to bring that so. That's true.
1: That's true defensive player. Let's go with that. I think that's a much more fun He's a very
3: good defensive player. I can agree.
1: Yeah, he is. Speaking of polarizing responses, let's get into talking about some polarizing prospects. So, one of the oh, things transition. that the way our group chat works, we, we talk about yeah, thanks for thanks for letting everybody know I transitioned. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. That was fine. One of the things that we do in our group chat is is we'll just have discussions over various things. And one thing that was brought up this week and it tends to carry over into the show, we were talking a little bit about some polarizing guys. So I this excited me and made me think, let's talk about some polarizing prospects that are gonna have vastly different opinions based on what people like and maybe what people see on film I want to bring up first Trey Lance and I know that Ryan you said this before the show you said that NFL teams know what Trey Lance is there's not going to be a lot of difference and I don't disagree with that but I think when you get to media evaluators from major sites you're going to have a lot of swinging pendulums when it comes to his draft stock. I think some people are gonna have him as that clear-cut third guy in the class. Others are gonna to continue to for whatever reason push Zach Wilson and Kyle Trask ahead of him. I can see maybe Wilson more often than Trask, but there still seems to be that conversation where people are not entirely sold on on Trey Lance because he hasn't played that much and he played at a small school. That tends to be a reoccurring theme, but I really do believe that things are going to be all over the place. Is he a top 10 quarterback prospect, which I think we'll really see a ton of, or is he an early second round prospect? I I think that's where we're going to see that mix of of varying levels of draft stock. Now, Alex, you're kind of in that that same boat with Gregory Rousseau, and we were talking about him this week, and he kind of was the inspiration between this. Why do you think that he's going to be polarizing?
2: I don't know if he's gonna be polarizing. I just view him differently. Is more how I took took this one. Um, kind of went through his final film eval, and I just got I just want to talk about Greg Rousseau a little bit. I have some things to get off my chest. Look, Greg Rousseau is first and foremost. Can we talk about upside and potential? Do y'all believe there's a difference between upside and potential? Because I I I I think of them differently. How so? They're in a different lens to me. I think of when I use the word upside, I'm typically talking about scheme dependence. Like if he's in this offense versus that offense, you're, you could see different, uh, different products. Whereas potential is someone that no matter where he goes, he's going to take time. He, you know, he has that potential, but it's going to take him time to, to work on the technical side or whatever it is that he needs to do. Whereas I think of upside, you know, I'm thinking Kadarius Tony in this offense. Has a lot more upside than in this offense, and that's maybe that's just the way I use it, and and I just want to differentiate those before I go into this point that Greg Russo has a lot of potential. However, unlocking that potential to me is not a one year one year thing. I think this is I think unlocking Greg Russo's potential is going to take four years. I just, I, I, I really do. I, I don't think this is a one to two year fix. I don't think he's going to turn into an all pro in his second or third year. Like we see from these top 10 edge rushers that we see in the NFL draft as of late. I think this is, this is someone that's going to take a few years. And that begs the question, is he worth a top of the first round pick? Cause you think about it, you are spending that top of the first round pick for a four year window of a rookie contract. Five. And if it takes five. four to five. Yeah. Well, yeah. Five with the five with the, the team option. So four to five years, and if it takes you three to four years to to get this guy to where you want him to be, at that point you're getting a one to two year window where he's worth it, and then you have to pay him. And I just think Greg Rousseau is not going to allow you to. I I'm trying to think of the way to put it. I just Greg Rousseau is not going to return give you the return on investment for a top twelve pick. I just don't think so. I think I think at the end of a four to five year window, you're going to think. God, I wish I was the second team to have him on my roster. I wish I got him for that second contract cuz I think he's going to be a great player by then. But these first 3 to 4 years, I think he he's going to be a guy that's going to be frustrating. My, my, and that's just the Go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say like my
3: thing with that is like I understand what you're saying cuz he's not a finished product, but I think that that makes right. it more exciting that he's not a finished product with the production he has. Like we're not we're not evaluating the box score, but like The guy just had 15 and a half sacks without really knowing what he's doing. Like, you don't think that there's going to be instant production? I think he's going to put some sacks together. I think he's going to put some tackles for loss together because I think he is six Mm. foot five plus.
2: I I think he benefited. I think he benefited from college offensive tackles where he, he, Greg Russo has elite traits in length and in just overall strength. size as yeah. far as, yeah, yeah, just, just really it's length. That's really the only elite trait I think he he possesses is length. And I think with that length, you see him bully offensive linemen. They can't touch him. Whereas I think in the NFL, they get bigger, faster, stronger. And when they get bigger, faster, longer, stronger, they're going to be able to to minimize what he's able to do. And I think he's going to be forced to be able to, or he's going to be forced to have to, learn the position better. And I think that's something that, like I said, is going to take three to four years down the road where you're going to get this one or two years where you're happy with them. But at that point, it's going to be too late.
1: Well, I would argue that he currently right now didn't play and all he's doing right now is working with a position coach. Very Ryan said, told me the position coach he's working with is, is one of the best ones right now, pass rush coaches in, in, in Atlanta. I forget the name. But all he's doing right now is focusing on that. He's not playing a season. He's just focusing on that. He was clearly poorly coached at Miami if he had no idea what he was doing, but he was still dominating. They clearly right. just told him, go do your thing, kid. We're not going to mess, mess you up, which is, in my opinion, bad coaching. But if he gets to an NFL team that's sold on him and they work with him, he is going to turn into what his potential leads to. I think that most NFL coaches are going to be able to get that out of him, unlike in college.
3: Well, I think – like I keep making the same parallel – and I know some people can fall into the comparison, you know, trap sometimes. And I know some people don't really like comparisons much. But this isn't a comparison just on traits because I think he does have some similar traits. I think his his story and his, his journey to being the player that he is going to be is similar to Jason Pierre-Paul coming out of South Florida. Like, I just look at them and I see the same body. I see similar athletes. Neither guy is the, the bendiest player in the world. But, man, that length, that, that athleticism, I and mean, he's even a more productive player than than uh, Jason Pierre-Paul was in college. Because I mean, Jason Pierre-Paul in his last year had only like five and a half sacks, and he was purely an upside guy. But he was able to get to that level relatively early in his career. So if I, as a scout, if I am trusting what my coaches can do, I'm taking a gamble on this guy early because – NFL coaching, I think can get them him, him there a lot quicker than people might anticipate because the traits I just think are just so easy to see there.
2: But the problem with that projection is you you say NFL coaching will get him there. There's bad NFL coaching and especially those picking at the top of the draft. Look, I think he's I think the problem with me is I'm not willing to bang the table for him. I'm I'm hesitant to bang the table for him in that upside because I think he's his success is dependent on where he falls, where he lies. And, and that's true with any player to some degree. It's true. Everyone, you know, where they, where they end up is, you know, kind of has a say in what their, how their career pans out, especially early. But that's just someone I, I look as a, as a, someone that does this for the media, I'm not doing it for a team that's trying to project who's going to be the best. It, I'm hesitant. I'm hesitant to, to, bang the table and call this guy a top 10 guy in the class when he can go one place and yeah, he can get to that 15 and a half sacks and maybe a couple years, but you go to another team and this guy is just never going to take that next step. And, and that's just, what's worrisome for me is there's just so much, it's polarizing that you know we're talking about polarizing like the the outcomes for this guy is very very polarizing that's what scares me to to have him as highly ranked as some others i
3: completely get that my last point though would be like as a person that works for an independent scouting service right like at nfo draft bible and obviously alex you're you're a part of that now for me it's I, I, I am actually more likely to take a chance on a player because I don't have a job on the line if I'm wrong. Mm. You know what I mean? Like Greg Russo is not going to cost me my job. It's either going right. to make me look very smart or it's going to make me have a miss, which everyone has either way. But it, with no money on the line there, I'm more likely to take a gamble on a guy this athletic. And that's why the similar thing with Trey Lance too. It's like I'm, if I'm taking a guy early and I look at Trey Lance and I look at Zach Wilson – I'm taking a gamble on Zach Wilson because my my job's not on the line, and I think that the upside is higher. I'm, if I'm especially a quarterback position, like, I am going to swing for the fences. I'm not just going to play for singles and doubles. Like, I am going to take all the biggest chance in the world. So, Gregor Rousseau, I'm going to take the I, – I see, I see some people say, like, oh, it isn't – maybe Quincy Roche is better than him. Well, no, one, he's oh, not. Oh. One, he's not. No. But you know it's out there. It's out there because yeah, he's, it is. He's, it is bad. he's more polished and he's more refined. But, hey, man, at that position, I'm going to take a gamble on the upside there. So.
1: All right, Ryan, who's your guy, though, before we get to statute stuffers?
3: This was Alex's fault, man. He got us really sidetracked there. My guy.
1: Yeah, you, you got us all riled up. I, know. I mean, he wins then. He picked the most polarizing guy. He
3: did. Yeah. <laughs> he did. Well, we had a conversation. <laughs> well, at this week's scouting meeting, I brought this guy up, and I think he was number 24 on my board, and I felt like he was low even for that, and that was Andre Cisco, safety from um, Syracuse. Now, he's not going to probably be the 24th pick in the draft or top 25 pick in the draft in general because he's hurt. Coming off of an injury, we'll see if he's able to test in some capacity before the draft, what, what the draft process is going to look like. For me, I see special there potentially. I see impact in deep zone coverage. I see impact playing down short zones. I see impact in 20, you know, he had 13 interceptions in 23 career games or something crazy like that. This guy has the makings of a defensive playmaker on the back end in the vein of an Eddie Jackson or a Kevin Bayard, like one of those types of deep rangy safeties. I think he's that caliber of player. I think that people really hone in on the fact that he's not the greatest tackler in the world, but I don't think that that's lack of effort. I just don't think that he's the most, like, he's not a super aggressive safety in the run game. He'll hit you on, you know, in the pass a ton. But I, when I look at Andre Sisco, man, like, if he hits the ceiling, again, he's a high upside guy. If he hits the ceiling, yeah. I think he's potentially special. He could be one of the best safeties in the NFL pretty early.
2: Yeah, there's very few guys, you know, looking at this class and previous classes that have the upside as a single high guy that Andre Sisko goes. That guy can cover some ground, he's got some ball skills. You see the interception production and that's the that's that's the most valuable trait. Uh, as a defensive player, is being able to create turnovers, get the ball back in the offense's hands. Offense scores points. You've got to get it back in their hands. So I was with you on Andre Cisco and that ball production and that ability to, to cover ground on the back end. Trayvon Merrick is going to give him a run for his money for me, but – at safety one, safety two in that range, but Andre Cisco, yeah, that I think a lot of people are still missing out on what this guy can be. Like you said, I like
3: Mo Rick a lot, man. I think he was like safety three for me leaving the summer. I, I was, was low cool.
2: on him, but I've come around. I've watched I watched him tape last week on him. I'm coming around. He's on way better there than our
3: Washington. I'm glad everybody agrees <laughs> with that finally.
2: Well, I think five foot nine has something to do with that, unfortunately.
3: 5'8 and, and a half. Let's not give him 5'9.
2: Yeah, well, yeah, I gave him some. That's a big
1: safety right there. All right, guys, let's wrap things up with our stat sheet stuffers. I'm going to hit my first guy here. Fantastic performance for Mr. Dylan Stoner, a wide receiver from Oklahoma State. This man had eight receptions, 257 yards, and three touchdowns. That's a hell of a day for a receiver. That's a complete stat line right there. Not high in receptions, but we got to talk about the fact that this man was averaging as high of a uh, yards per catch rate as he was and also had three touchdowns. Alex, who you got?
2: Uh, For me, you know, I have to cheat a little bit and I got to go back to. Yeah, you know me. So we talked about Miami's defense not being able to stop the run. Well, let's talk about the running backs on the other side. North Carolina's Michael Carter and Javante Williams, two guys that have been getting a lot of run here as of what probably the last month and a half or so especially Williams big riser uh very balanced attack I think uh I think one had 24 one had 23 carries if memory serves a total of uh 47 carries for 544 yards five touchdowns and that run by Javante Williams the the r- truck stick spin move run that's just ridiculous this was a uh slaughter uh from the running attack of North Carolina
3: Man, that run attack is so much fun. I, I my, my co hosts here don't really appreciate defense much, so I need to throw out Carlton Marshall, Ouch. the linebacker from Troy, who is all five foot ten, two hundred and sixteen pounds of Carlton Marshall. Oh God! But in this game, he had nineteen tackles in their near upset over Coastal Carolina. He had nineteen tackles, three tackles for loss, a sack, and an interception. <laughs> A lot better player than his than his um, size would indicate. A former walk-on that has earned a scholarship. And with this performance, actually now sits atop the total tackle leaders in all of college football. So hats off to Carlton Marshall, Marshall the linebacker from Troy.
1: All right, folks. That is it for today's episode of the NFL Draft Prospects Podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. Go follow us on Twitter at believe or sorry at NFL prospects pod and also fall believe podcast at believe podcast on Twitter and Instagram additionally folks um, please go and follow us on social media at Joe DeLeon at rise and draft at Alex Gilstrap if you like the show so far hit that subscribe button to stay up to date on every single show we will be back to you on Thursday with a interesting NFL draft prospect interview